This is the MLW Radio Network. When Wednesdays are just not enough, Front Row Material presents The False Finish. Welcome in, Mikey Whipwreck, and your host, Mike Freeland. Welcome to the second episode of The False Finish. My name is Mike Freeland. I am here joined by my broadcast partner from Front Row Material each and every Wednesday on the MLW Radio Network, Mr. Mikey Whipwreck. I want to talk about quick Fawcett, his tweet. Oh, oh, so so let's talk about Thomas Kitchen Fawcett 87. Tweet. Yes, what, what, what was about his tweet? I guess he's a truck driver. Yes, he is. So right away, kudos to you, sir. Absolutely. But I guess this guy, he was waiting to get unloaded. And the motherfucker driving the pallet jack, I guess, figured Mr. Fawcett had nothing but time to spare. So he was, he was thinking all iron chic. So his tweet. So I want to read his tweet. Okay, by all means. In the, in the style, it's like it was fucking karaoke. <laughs> in the style of iron chic. <laughs> the floor is all yours, my friend. That's right. Brian Blair, I take the pallet jack, put you on it, fuck your ass. Break your back and make you unbear. Unload the truck, motherfucker. Thank you. That was sensational. So I hope he enjoyed that because he's definitely been loyal, a loyal listener to the uh, to the show. He's one of the three people that listen to us now that they are actually commuting in some <laughs> way, shape, or form. <laughs> you you would assume that after nearly ten, or two years of doing this, I almost said ten. Um, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> feels like it at times doesn't it could you well you ain't kidding oh man that we would have uh you know we we have more than three people who are dedicated listeners we got uh thousands upon thousands of dedicated listeners in fact there is something that i would like to share with you as well thousands upon thousands thousands upon thousands so here's something i would like to share with you mr whipwreck whether you are aware of this or not But the technology that I have at my fingertips does tell me who listens to us. A fucking abacus? Well, I have one of those. Uh But what what the statistics say, you know what I mean? Because what's that that phrase, the the numbers never lie? Well, I mean in our case maybe sometimes they do. But the stats are this. We have people that listen to us in many different countries. Can you imagine that? Would you have ever imagined that people would listen to us in different parts of the world? Would you like me to expound upon that and just kind of tell you exactly where? Sure. Let's hear it. Well, the United States, obviously. Canada. There's a a fucking shocker. (laughs) Canada. Canada. People in Canada like listening to us. Um, Australia. Australians. Good day, mate. Yeah. Outback Steakhouse, Wallaby Darned. Yeah, that's right. Bloomin' Onion, the whole nine yards. Oh, those onions suck. You don't like them? No. Okay, moving on. Um, You don't like onions? No. Wow. Red onions are right. They're like purplish on the outside. The kind you put on a salad, that's good. But those fucking yellow onions? Or the white ones? You don't like those? Oh, they're fucking nasty. My mom would put them in like tomato soup. Yes. Uh, Not tomato soup, but the tomato sauce. Absolutely. And then you get like 
this long stringy thing. It's like a fucking slug. Yeah, that's. Well, it's just the skin. Therapy. It's just the skin. It's it's. Yeah, but the uh, consistency blows. Like it. Uh, I don't think so. It's like. Ugh. Mama Whipwreck, I tell you what, you can make me uh, spaghetti sauce anytime you want. I will be more than happy to come on over and uh, sit down and eat your food. I love well, it. Well, she's Irish, so you might not want the tomato sauce. <laughs> it's called ragu. Ragu. Ragu, three cheese. Ooh, nice. <laughs> I like the three cheese. Uh, no, United Kingdom. The UK, man. I love the UK. I it's love so much fucking fun over there. God, I would love to get a chance to go over there. Um, man, I feel like it's a classier version of the United States. That makes sense. Well, let's not get fucking carried away now. Well, no, I'm just okay. Because you right. live in fucking bum bum fucking county, make fucking fun of the rest of the country. Hey, hey, here's the deal. God bless Mike Dewine. Okay, Mike Dewine that's, has that's John Dewine, MB <laughs> psychotic sign light sign uh, language translator. <laughs> Yeah, as opposed to uh, as opposed to your person that's in charge right now. What's the name of your person? Christine something or other? Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf. What do you mean, the Tom? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. But I understand that. But then you also said something about uh, you said the oh, oh that was the medical person, the medical Rachel expert. Levine. Rachel Levine. What did I yeah. call her? I don't fucking know, Christina. What? Christina, whatever. She was uh, making a lot of news stories today. Did you did you hear about that? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> this is fantastic. I'll, so, I'll be putting on PCN when this is over. They'll go watch it. The WWE's documentary series, they put out some of the best documentaries. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, some of them. I mean, they really go all out. Some of them are really good. I was watching, um, oh gosh, I watched the, did you see the Billy Graham one? I think it was like 20 years too soon, the Billy Graham story. I thought that was really good. I liked the, um, we both talked about this. You liked the Adrian Street one too, right? You saw that one. Adrian Street? Uh-huh. I did not see that one. It's a good one. It's a, Maybe Jerry was the one who said he saw it. It was really good. Another documentary that I think is very interesting is The Last Ride. And I think you were the one who kind of told me about it. And you said, hey. Undertaker? You, this thing yes. is fucking awesome. It's you only one me. episode deep at this point, And it is. I know. It's worth the price of the network by itself. It is. No, I agree 100%. It is. It's really good. Very, very captivating. So how many episodes are there going to be in this whole thing? I think five. So the second one comes out, what, this this Sunday. coming Sunday? And then the next Sunday. And I think there's like two weeks where they don't have a new one. Okay. And then they have the last two, I believe. Wow. Do you feel like this is leading up to uh, his last year being uh, like 20? It's got to be close. For him yeah. to be documenting all this and allowing them to put it out, it's got to right. be, I would think it's getting close. But who so, knows? He, he thought it was close three years ago. Right. So when it when it comes to the Undertaker, when were you first introduced to him? Were you did you were you following him when he first came to the WWF in 1990? Well, I knew of him before that. Okay, because I, I watched him in WCW. Gotcha. Skyscrapers. Well, the skyscrapers. That's right. So what did you think about him in WCW? Did you feel like he like this is a guy that probably has it? You know, if he was given a, a decent gimmick, he could. Uh, I thought he was good, but he had no. Facials. He had no outward charisma. Right. 
which is ironic because he went to the WWE and had no facials. I was going to say, <laughs> I was just about to say, and he was deadpan as the dead man. So, yeah. So as a regular person, this sounds fucking weird even saying that. As a regular wrestler, you know, boots and trunks with with no real character, the, the no expression didn't really didn't really get over too much. Now you package that as the Undertaker as being dead. Mm-hmm. Fucking works perfectly, right? So but again, one of those things you, you, you turn the, the the weakness into a strength. But didn't he and also hide it behind work, this character? Didn't he also work in Memphis though? A little bit. And he, but he talked then in Memphis, I believe. Well, I think he talked in WCW too. Right. Just not to the prolific character, over the top guy. personality. Mid card guy. So the Undertaker, the Last Ride, Episode One, kind of chronicles what has happened in the years. So between. funny because he started talking, and my wife was like, "Huh?" I go, "I go what?" She goes, "That's how he talks." You know, he doesn't talk like this. No, she didn't. All she, the time. Well, she had no idea. Right. She had never seen him. Out of character. Right. Wow. And she didn't watch wrestling before we really got together, so she had no fucking idea. Okay. So hearing him talk like a, a Texan, right. like a normal voice, was a little eye-opening. So for episode one went from, I think it was like three days before WrestleMania. It, it chronicled... chronicled it went over <laughs> the real quick. It touched on the matches with Sean mm-hmm. and Hunter mm-hmm. and then went into the match with Brock about how he got his fucking bell rung. Mm-hmm. They went into all that. And then they went into leading up to WrestleMania, I think in 2017 against Roman Reigns in Orlando. Gotcha. So that's where episode one stopped right after, right after that match where he put his boots, not his boots, but he put his hat and his coat, in the ring and left because, so, because at that point he thought he was done. So maybe the whole documentary is between 2017 and 2020. Cause I thought I saw that graphic right. on the screen. Yes. Okay. Right. But this one first episode was through. Okay. Gotcha. Was through that match with Roman Reigns. So your, your takeaways from the first episode so far, do you find that anything was surprising to you? Aside from the fact that they let him, that he let them film him? <laughs> right. No, not really. Nothing was surprising. I mean, I'm not sure what we're going to get into in the next couple episodes. I thought it was kind of interesting that along the lines of, hey, you know, he's he's letting a camera crew film him. I thought it was also interesting to know how much in pain he is and how how much chronic pain he has. And because you never see that. But I, I have seen after matches where he has struggled, you know, getting up the ramp and then collapsing. But I thought that was part of the whole show. You know, I didn't realize that that was actually, no. He well, was, you've, heard, he, you, you've heard that he's been beat up for years. You know, and this is going back 20 years now. Right. Where he's, he said he was beat up in the late 90s. So it, it just shows you what a fucking badass he is. Because most people would have, all right, fuck this, I'm done. You know what I mean? But he just keeps going and going and going. And it, I think he really thought at that match with Roman Reigns was going to be it. But they, they teased that 
you know, that was supposed to, in his mind, that was it. And then he realized he was not happy with that going out that way, I think. And he had to prove to himself that, no, that fuck this. I'm not going out that way. When it came so then again, to so like the hip replacement and all, where was they doing now? They, they start getting all that. But. Right. Would you, okay, looking at the Roman Reigns match, I know we're going to jump around here talking about different things on the episode, but do you think that it was a good Undertaker match, a good Undertaker performance, the Roman Reigns match, or would you also say, hey, I could see where somebody would want to come back if that was the last thing they did? I thought it was good at the time. I didn't, you know, the, the match was okay, but the, 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 the ending of him putting everything in the ring is what everybody remembers. Right. And that's when I thought that was officially it. Well, apparently he thought that too. I don't know. I, f- I feel it's interesting that, you know, you have Steve Austin commenting and you have other other people commenting how difficult it is to come out and only perform once or twice a year. Let's make this relatable to, to you. So how difficult is it for you to perform once or twice a year? Is it as equally as daunting, meaning, oh, shit, I got to get ready. I got to get physically, mentally ready. But then I know what is going to be there after I come through the curtain. Is that worth it? So would you that's, also. That's the funny part. Like, I am not in any way, shape, or form comparing myself to Down to Taker. Let me just say right. that right now because I can see someone saying it now. But you see what I'm trying to say. I know you, and I know you do perform at different shows, and I know that you do perform once or twice a year. What I'm saying is from that standpoint of only doing it once or twice a year, do you find that it is difficult, more difficult, because you're not consistently doing it? Yes. The See, for me, because I'm lazy, I don't stay in shape all the time. You know what I mean? So it's like when I know something's coming and I got to get in shape. Okay, then I got to work. I got a couple months into it to get into shape, and then at least I might not look like I'm in shape, but I can go 15, 20 minutes. About you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's in the leading up to it sucks because I don't like working. I just don't like it. I've just I was always pretty naturally gifted as a kid, as athletically, and never had to work at it. Now that I'm older, I have to <laughs> I actually have to work at it. I got to put some time in uh, cardio to get to get in shape. But like leading up to it sucks because I don't like doing all that. The actual mental part of putting the match together, uh, depending who it is or what I'm doing, I'll, I, I'll start that like maybe a week out. Maybe or something like pops in my head, you know, a month out. I'll, I'll jot it down and go back to it. But like a, the, the week before, I'll start putting thoughts and ideas into it. Like, what what am I going to try? What, let's try this through that. What's in the bet? What I got in the bag of tricks. Um, and then, you know, have the match. And the match is fine normally. The first bump blows, to be honest. Uh, but, I mean, during the match, it's fine. You know, everything's good. Like, you, I'll just take something and go, oh, that sucked. You know, that's going to suck tomorrow. But where he said where you're not calloused, that is a true thing. Because I'll have a match now, and for, like, almost two weeks, I'm feeling like shit. You know, like, when I wasn't working all the time, and I went to Japan for Tajiri. Um, I hadn't worked in a while and then we worked the first night at Corrigan Hall and that was fine. And then I felt like shit, you know, and the next day you're on a bus for fucking 12 hours and then you're wrestling that night and you're driving, you know, 10, 12 hours back. It's like, holy fuck this, y- your body really feels like shit, you know? And 
Fit Finley said to me, he goes, Mikey, he goes, this is just because you're not working. He said, because I, I know you're you're a tough kid that you've, you know, having a wrestling match is not a big deal to you. You know what I mean? Take a bump's not a big deal. But you're not doing it. And then you have that one match, you know. Like I said, for like two weeks, I'll feel like shit. But I was in Japan, I had the one match, and then, you know, I had like one day off, and then the 12-hour bus ride, and then wrestling again, and then wrestling the next night. Man, it was fucking tough. And I felt like shit almost like for a month by the time I got home. Wow. Yeah, it was... My body's so beat up, but I have so many, so much smoke and mirrors I have to normally do to get through these things. Well, okay, so when you were in WCW and ECW after a night, did you feel... And I know, obviously, it's different because you're younger at that time. Did it seem as hard, or did it seem as... No. No, it was it, fine. It just seemed like a, a night out. Three, four nights in a row? Okay. Well, you know, right. by the third, fourth night, you're feeling a little... You're feeling a little... You're beat up a little bit. Right. You know? But I'd be home, you know, day or two. Um, I'm fine. Wow. Yeah. Unless you got hurt, and that's a different story. Right. But for the most couple of days, I'm you know, feeling good. You know, ECW, we do like a, a, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday sometimes. You know, we go on the road Thursday, work Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, drive home Sunday morning, or fly home Sunday morning. You know, and I was at the school. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Thursdays if we weren't on the road. So I was around all the time. But it wasn't, you know, when you're 25 years old, it's not a big deal. You know, just like anything. You know, you, you play a football game in high school, you know, or college. You know, you're fucking pretty beat up after the game. You know, you give it a day or two, two, three days. You, you're, you know, you feel all right. You might have something nagging a little bit. But for the most part, you're okay. You bounce right back. And just as you get older, and this goes for anybody. I mean, this is people in regular life. You know, you don't bounce back as quickly. You don't bounce back as quick. So did you I mean, I know you've been in a locker room with a lot of different people. Did you ever have conversations with people who who were veterans who would maybe, you know, make comments or say something to the younger guys about Shh, enjoy it while you can, man, because it's it's brutal. The older you get. I mean, I know you were. Well, Terry were, Funk always said that. Well, that was my next question. But because he, he never really Terry let, Funk, let on to it. Right, he kind of kept a lot of that stuff to himself, though. But yeah, could you tell? Could you look at him and say, "Good God, I don't know if I can do the things that he's doing at his age." When I reach that age, and keep in mind, he wasn't that old; he was only in his forties. Yeah, that's that's what I say is funny. Now, I'm the age Terry Funk was when I started in '94. I'm thinking, "Holy shit!" Like. I feel like shit. Like, and I can only imagine because he was working full time, full time. I mean, okay, after now, he, yeah, he, all right, he did take time off to make movies and stuff. But he, he, you know, he had almost 20 years in by then. Well, he also, after he left ECW was over, he did WCW. Well, then he did WWE. And then he went back and did Chainsaw WWE. Charlie. With Chainsaw Charlie. Yeah, so I'm thinking, Jesus, even if he would have ended things in ECW, right? Right. That would have that would have been more than enough. But then he went and he had two more runs in two other companies. Yep. It's like, and he wasn't just having regular matches either. He was putting on very physically demanding performances. Yes. Wow. Do we moonsaults and things like that? I just, 
You just have to be in awe of that. But when we're when I was watching the Undertaker documentary here, the one thing I will say is he did start to have that Terry Funk look. Did, did you know what I'm saying here? Like the walk, the gait. Everybody the look, gets it. The the look the, on his face. A, a lot of guys get it. Wow. You know, I'll get that too after matches. You know, or if I first wake up in the morning, I I have that. They say when I first wake up, they go, "Man, you're you're like a mix between Ozzy Osbourne and Terry Funk." I'm like. Oh fuck! <laughs> that's good or that's terrible. Yeah, the well, uh, just with all the shots I've had to the head and things like that, like I'm, I start to, I lose my place in conversation, really easy, and then I'll start to stammer a little bit. My 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 left hand and my right, actually my right hand, it like twitches. It's got like a tremor in it. My right hand, it's like oh Jesus Christ! Here here it fucking comes. So how often did you end up getting? going to the hospital and getting clinically diagnosed or was that just you know what i mean like when you got your bell rung did you have to get oh, medically you know. cleared no no you never back then. did you ever have a situation where like the undertaker was talking about he didn't remember anything about the match the the last thing he remembers three thirty in the afternoon have you ever had one of those days where you're like yeah i have oh, no yeah. clue what the hell happened i remember the one with Luis Bacoli. I remember getting to the building. I remember talking to Louie about the match. And then the next thing I remember, I remember waking up in the ambulance with Sonny. Because wow. she came she came to the hospital with me. Not a clue whatsoever Not a, how this even happened. No, somehow I finished the match. Don't know how. Don't remember fucking it. I don't remember shit. I remember coming to, coming to in the ambulance, looking up at the bright light in the ambulance, mm-hmm. and seeing like Sunny in front of the light, like the shoot, like he was like, I thought I was fucking dead. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like I'm not saying like oh, this would be funny, right? I I really thought I was dead. Like I had no recollection of anything. Wow. I just remember looking and all of a sudden seeing that like this light and right. Sunny. That was it. I really thought I was dead because I had no idea where the fuck I was. I had no, no idea of anything. I said, I was talking to Louis Piccoli. I said, I must have died. Jesus. But no, I had a match and was in the ambulance after getting my fucking bell rung. Well, and that's the thing that Then they that checked me for me. internal bleeding. So how does one even get through a match? Like he was talking about, you know, you, he, he you had a match, you control. had a match, you but you're not even conscious, right? Yeah, you're just so... I don't know how it works. I don't know if, if we're so ingrained that we can just get through it. I have no fucking idea how that works. But I was still, even even after they they said, oh, I concussion and, you know, he's fine. They, I, I went back to the arena just in time for, uh, they were setting up for the main event. Terry Funk and Sebu in the bar bar match. And I was walking around ringside. I think I said, I, was, I told me I was look, looking for my hat. Why my hat would be at ringside, I don't know. But apparently I, apparently I just snuck, like I was still out of it, you know, and I was just walking around the ringside just for whatever fucking reason. Looking and somebody for came, this. Somebody, somebody, somebody came and got me and took me to the back. And Paul, Paul Lee said, he goes, man, those lights are on, but there's nobody home. Wow. That's scary. Yeah. What number do you think that was at the time? Uh, eight, nine, maybe. I got one of my first night in the business against 
Kevin Sullivan. Mm-hmm. I broke a chair over my head and I fell down. And just, I don't know, just whatever. Then I, I got another one like a month or two later working with Johnny Grunge. He threw me over the top rope. Then I got one against Nails. Bossberg! <laughs> Prime I did not do. Yeah, he threw, me, he threw me over the top rope, and I wanted to make it look real good. So I really flew myself, and my feet didn't land right. I smacked my head on the bottom of a guardrail. Oh, Jesus. And there's another one here and there. I don't, like, I don't remember. Well, there's one against Benoit Malenko. Chris picked me up for a powerbomb, and Malenko would come off the top with a reverse bulldog, and he just didn't have my head. And just... I got one the night before against Benoit when he powerbombed the shit out of me. If you see that one from, was from Fort Lauderdale, where I, he powerbombs me, and my head, I think, bounces off the mat like four times. Bing, 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 bing. So that was a concussion, and then a concussion again the next night. I know there's one against the Sandman. I got one in that WCW junkyard match. Yeah, the, the classic junkyard match. Yeah, that was worth it. So it's just been a lot of them, you know. Wow. When you see this, as far as The Undertaker is concerned, I know I'm kind of going back and forth, but just trying to make things relatable to people. Obviously, you're able to fill in the gaps where you're able to tell a little bit more of the story of, from a personal perspective, what that feels like and whatnot. The Undertaker going through all this stuff, I guess the main question I ask myself is why? I guess I, I don't know the situation from a financial perspective. Have you if, read Roddy Piper's book? I have not. Or either I, I don't know if it's in this book. Cause I had a conversation about him with him about this once, and he called it the sickness. And I don't recall everything about it. But look it up. If you're listening to this, listen to Roddy Piper talk about the sickness, and it pretty much explains it. There's a, uh, for me, there's a rush and a high about going out there and entertaining people and telling a story and just getting that reaction. And you just love it. Like, I can't, I can't explain it because anybody with a normal, normal people go, oh, what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, no, right? no, I, but I no, get that. Normally, you go, what the fuck? But there's something about this business that makes it very hard to walk away from. And I don't know what it is. But I remember when I talked to Roddy Piper about this, he explained it, and it made perfect sense. And of course, now I'm like an idiot and can't remember exactly what he said. But I know I think it's either his book or an interview I've seen him do that he talked about it again. Do you think, from what you've seen so far in The Undertaker's documentary, he knows when it's time? He knows... It'll be time for him when he physically can't do it. When he's physically unable to do it. But until then, he will get himself prepared. He will get himself I think seen by the long, trainers. And... As long as Vince keeps calling him to do it, yeah, he will keep doing it. Do you think there's a until certain he level? physically can. Do you think there's a certain level of obligation he feels maybe to continue to perform for Vince for what Vince has given him? Uh, maybe. I'm just trying to think of the different elements of, you know, what what could go into that process. I mean, you know, you heard his wife say that 
you know, he definitely doesn't want to let the fans down. He doesn't want to let Vince down. And I completely understand that. Yeah. Um, mm, it's just hard to see that. I mean, seeing him from 1990 to now, it's just hard. I mean, to know the hips and the knees and the back and all of that stuff. It's just, Wow. And I mean, would you agree with this? Every single time somebody goes out to the ring, they are putting themselves in a situation where they could become draws. Jerry and I have talked about this. You, We've talked about it with you. You could be draws at any moment. Obviously, would you say your odds get higher of having a more life-altering injury at this stage? Or do you think, well, because you know your limitations in your body, you're probably not going to take things to that level meaning having certain moves performed on you. Yeah, you definitely get smarter about what you're going to do and not going to do. You know, who's not to say that your body is on the verge of just... Well, that's the thing, right like, there, like, you're right on the edge. Like edge at one point. His neck was so bad. Well, they said, you know, you take one more bump and that's it. Right. You know what I mean? And he was generally healthy at the time. So who knows? I mean, you might be fine. You know, we're not going to the doctor all the time. You know, on on indie level and things like that, we're not getting, you know, full evaluations like they get now. You know, so who knows? I mean, you might be fine. You might take one back bump, and your neck goes, you know, or your back is on the verge of going. Yeah, my back hurts. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little fucked up. And next thing you know, you take that one back bump, and you're laying on the mat. You can't move. You know, yeah. it's, so you, it's, you never know. It's interesting when we talk about the different things, and, and I kind of alluded to this with Brian Pillman, but it's interesting when you when you find out all the things that guys take. And, and I know that wrestlers get a really bad rep for, oh my God, he was taking somas, or he was taking you know muscle relaxers, he was taking this, he was taking that. But at the end of the day, it's not by choice. If people felt fine, they probably wouldn't be taking these things. Well, these things... Do you think so? Yes. Not, so it, it, there is a recreational aspect to that? Oh, yeah. Or, okay. or self-medicating. Well, in the, there the, are the, like CM Punk doesn't do it. Right. The Lance point I was, doesn't do it. I was trying to think of is if these people were not in such great pain, they probably wouldn't be taking as much prescription medication. I guess that's my logic. Some of thought. them. Right. Maybe that's not the case with everybody. Right. But, wow, interesting. Interesting to know how quickly the self-medicating can be and how quickly that can have effects on your body as well. Yeah. Wow. All of that because they love what they do. And unfortunately, what they love to do does not love them back as far as the physicality aspect of it. Well, not only that, you're not loved back as far as a, uh, as an employee goes either. You know, all these other sports have unions. They make a lot of money. I mean, you talk, you talk um, is it the NFL? I just heard this morning, one of the sports leagues, the, the, the players mm -hmm. get 48% of the revenue. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, who knows what the boys are getting? The wrestlers are getting, you know, they're getting whatever. And then when you're done, you're out. You know, so it's like, well, okay, so we're not a sports, we're not sports, we're not 
legitimately competitive. Should we be in the Screen Actors Guild? The Stuntman Union? What, what should we be? There needs Something. to be some type of clarification or, or some type of category because they call you independent contractors, but we all know that's a bunch of horse shit. There, that makes no sense even to the definition of an independent contractor. Right. An independent contractor puts windows in at my house, but yet he can put windows in for someone else's house as well. You guys have to put windows in only in one house. Correct. Yet you are not designated as an employee, not receiving benefits, not receiving anything. I mean, I see part of the independent contractor thing. If you're signing an exclusive agreement, you know, you're not an employee, you are working for us, but you pretty much do what you want. You know, normally stuff like that, you're, you know, transportation's paid for, you know, like a consultant type. You know what I mean? You work for me for now, we you pay your expenses and all that good stuff. And then when your agreement's over, that's it. You're free to move on somewhere else. So I get the exclusivity. Uh, exclu- I can't even say the fucking word. Exclusivity? Yes. I, I see that part of it. Right. I get it. Because it makes sense from a business standpoint. You know, you don't want your guys working WrestleMania and then three days later showing up on AEW. I get that. That makes perfect sense. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's, you you got you to gotta have them over a barrel. Take it or leave it. And, you know, if well, you don't take it, there's plenty, plenty that will. Right. And that's so, that's, the one. so that's where everybody loses all the leverage. Because when it when ultimately comes down to it, it's a business and everybody's going to look out for themselves. You know, it's not like it's baseball where it's a legitimate sporting contest. And if you're fucking awesome, you're going to make a team. And you're going to be an all-star and all that good stuff. And you're going to make a lot of money. In wrestling, you could be the great, you could be fucking unbelievable. But it's all you, it's how you're packaged. And you're only going to be as good as they want you to be. So you can be an amazing performer. You can have like the best matches in the world, you know, and, and you see guys like, I'm trying to think, who's one of the best guys, best workers around now? Who, by all intents and purposes, should be a top guy? Alistair Black? Okay, Alistair Black, right? He is, he always has good matches. Right. He's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. His shit is spot on. His shit looks great. He's got a great look. Yes. So when you look at him and you look at his matches and you look at the quality of his work, he's a fucking top guy. Like, holy shit. Look, look, this fucking guy's amazing. But Vince doesn't think so. Whereas if it was a legitimate sporting contest, it doesn't matter what he looked like or what Vince thought. Eh, his look sucks. Eh, it's okay. But no, if you're going to go out there and you're going to be a pitcher and you're going to strike out 18 people a night and you're only going to give up two hits, you know, and you're going to go 21 and one on a season, you're going to play. You're going to be the top guy. You're going to be an all-star. You're going to be a Hall of Famer. Where with wrestling, being that it is, while your talent does take, you know, there is something to be said about your talent. Your look has something to do with it. But it's all 100% based upon what one man thinks. 
Doesn't seem quite fair, does it? No, because it's entertainment. Just like being in the movies. To me, it's confusing from the standpoint of, I guess in this day and age, why people have not realized, or maybe they do realize it, that just because you work for one company, let's say you work for Vince McMahon, okay? And let's say for whatever reason, he's just not feeling you. Not feeling you, no matter what you do, no matter how much effort you put into your character, he's just not feeling you and he's not going to he's not going to endorse you or give you a push, right? Right. It seems like so many people hang that that opinion of his. That opinion seems to supersede everyone else's. Yes. That opinion seems to hold more weight yes. than other people's opinions. And I guess yes. my question to that is Because he is the top guy. There you go. WWE is the top promotion in the world. I'm sure if everybody had their choice, they would want to be the best, most famous, have the best matches, and make the most money. Absolutely. You can do that in WWE. Well, you're going to have the greatest amount of exposure. Right. I mean, my God. Merchandising, licensing, your your face is going to be case, everywhere. Case in, case in point, Cody Rhodes. Okay. Phenomenal. Yes, he is. Great look. Yes. Can tell a story in a ring. Can cut a promo. Mm-hmm. He's got a great look. He's got everything you, you want in a top guy. Vince didn't see it. Right. Vince did not. So now, yes, Cody is the head of the office of AEW. But he went to Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. And he was a top guy. Mm-hmm. He went to Japan was a top guy. Yes. So his talent speaks for itself, but Vince didn't see it. If it was a legitimate sporting event, Cody would have been a top guy in the WWE, all-star, Hall of Famer. If it was strictly based upon your merit. But it's not. It's entertainment. It's not. Yes. It is based upon the opinions. But here's the thing, though. Wouldn't you assume that Vince would also have other people that would surround him and say, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm thinking about this incorrectly or what? what's your opinion on this? Or maybe he has that, but he just does – he thinks that his opinion obviously is the prevailing deciding factor in all decisions. Well, yeah. It, obviously it is. Do you still feel like in 2020 that his – Level of judgment or his level of uh, critique is still what it needs to be in 2020. Do you feel like Triple H – and it looks like Shawn Michaels has really become a big part of the NXT brand as well. Do you think Triple H should be the heir apparent? Yes. I absolutely believe he should. He gets it. Why has the reins not been at least – if not turned over – Completely, at least more than 50% at this point. Vince is still around. But your your, your company is struggling. You're, you're not, you're is not it? being able to build new stars. I don't, well, they're, they, seem, they're, they seem to get all these giant TV contracts. Well, I think the TV so contracts... That, that's, but that's the way Vince looks at it. Right. Everything's fine. We're making more money than ever. It's right. going to take the TV rights... Dropping in value. It basically is going to take. It's. It, There's going to be a, a a change to their bottom line. 
for someone to say that there's a problem. And right now, they don't have that. Because you don't they're still they're, making money. Right. They're, they're still making a profit, even though their ratings have continuously declined. I mean, right. that's that's a statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, the stock itself has turned a dividend. Mm-hmm. They didn't need to release all those people, especially not not now. But we understand that every year after Mania, that happens. However, well, this, this is completely different. Right. But I'm just but I'm just saying, though, I mean, there are clearly cracks in the walls of the foundation of the company. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, but he's been through this before. Right. But I, I guess there do you think it's their th- thought process that we've weathered the storm before we can weather the storm again? Yep. Interesting. Interesting. You know, watching the, the getting it back to the Undertaker documentary thing, he's the last guy. Yeah. He's he's the last guy. I mean, everyone else is gone. Well, Hunter's still there. Well, no, what, but but actively wrestling, he's the last guy. He's the last of the of the old school, if you want to call them that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have Hunter when they need him, right? They prove they can get Sean back if they need him. But even Hunter proved that when he had that match in Saudi Arabia, he even admitted he can't go the way he used to go, and he he got injured pretty pretty badly. Well, he he needs. Smoke and mirrors. Right. I found it interesting in the documentary when he was talking about how Undertaker had had mentioned he had lost his confidence, and Triple that H that fucking blew my mind. It it really took me back. Now, is is it me or is it just interesting? Do you remember years ago, not that long ago, maybe a few years ago, Ric Flair had his documentary out. Same thing. And Triple H was the one that talked to Rick when Rick lost his confidence. And now all of a sudden it's happening all over again, but it's happening with another guy. His confidence was obviously shaken, which really did surprise me, the fact that he would open up about that. Like when you watch the documentary, you think to a certain extent, yeah, he's going to open up. He's going to talk that about blew certain my things. Mind. But that specifically, that something that personal, that, that surprised me. It, I said it, it blew my mind. And I'm thinking, well, why, why the fuck is your confidence shot? You got your fucking bell rung. You know, it's not like you went out there and had a shitty match and you were fully with it. I mean, it's like, man, you, you, dude, you got fucking knocked out. Like, well, it seems to be that no matter the circumstance, he still holds himself to a very high regard and a very high standard. That's why he's a fucking legend. Would you still put him above Hulk Hogan when it comes to WWE legendary iconic? And the reason why I bring this comparison up is for the simple fact that. You know, we've known that Hogan has gone out there and performed in a lot of shitty physical situations before. Why do you feel like everyone looks at him differently, meaning The Undertaker, than anybody else prior that has come around? As far as what? Well, I mean, as far as just look at him. He's going out there. He's completely hurt. He's completely beat up. I mean, I'm sure there's other people who have come through the rank can file that have done that as well. Triple H has come and done that. Um, and, and he's had a long career as well. What is it about? You know why? The Undertaker. Here's, he has been 100% protected. And by protected, I mean you heard nothing about his personal life. He doesn't go doing interviews out of character. You don't hear about him on TMZ. There's no drama associated with him. You know what I mean? He is completely protected. 
and he has protected his persona for so long that you don't think of Mark Cat like you don't think of you think of Hulk Hogan, you think of the fucking TV show, and you can think of making movies, and you think about the TV shows, and some of the negative press he's gotten, right? Like and, the sex and all scandals the, and, and all, all this, right? And all this other stuff. You hear none of this with the Undertaker, so it's all like, ooh, it's like your first peek at this guy, because any other time you've seen him, he is the Undertaker. The closest they got with him to real life was when he had his wife Sarah involved. When he was the uh, the biker taker, mm-hmm. but even then you didn't really hear about anything, right? You know, he he did he did a handful of interviews here and there, but for the most part he he's been protected, and you don't see this at all from him. So you think because he's had a pretty clean whistle lifestyle outside of wrestling, that well, definitely... that plus plus that plus you never see it. Do you think they specifically went out of their way, meaning WWE, to keep it that way? I'm sure he did. Guys, if you haven't had a chance to to watch it, it's about 55 minutes in length, but it goes fast. It goes very quickly. You will very much enjoy it. Um, there is five episodes, correct? Yeah, or there one will so be far. Five? It, it streams Sunday night. Okay. But it's available on demand on the network at, I believe, like 10 a.m. Okay. Check it out. Before you watch the second one, if you're kind of late to the party here, definitely watch the first one. Stay in chronological order. Very good. Very good documentary. Do you think he'll be uh, the most revered person to be inducted into the Hall of Fame as far as WWE guys have been concerned? I think so. Let's put it this way. He is so protected. He doesn't even sit in the crowd at the Hall of Fame. He's backstage? Yep. That tells you the great lengths they go to protect him and hide him. Because he goes to the Hall of Fame, but he sits in the back. Well, the the point that I'm thinking about this is, do you also think that the reason why is because he's brought no shame to the company? He's brought no, like you said before, he's brought no scandal. He's brought no reason um, for anybody. You know, Shawn Michaels obviously has had a lot of issues, you know, personal life as well and his demons Mm -hmm. and lost my smile and whatever. And, you know, there's been a lot of other stars that have had issues in the past. But this guy has been true blue loyal, and I guess to Vince that means a lot. And therefore, you're going to get some uh, preferential treatment. As you should. Yeah. I also thought it was good that they still had Jim Ross, and they had guys there who no longer work for WWE. Like, they still had Jericho on there as well. I thought that was good. and that well, kind of they, had how- re- they had it recorded like three years ago. Well, I was going to say, so they did this. This has been in the process for a mm-hmm. while. Yeah, but you know, sometimes when people leave, they kind of eighty uh, six their their portion of it, right? You know, but they left it in, which I thought was good, and I thought once again that might have had a lot to do with the Undertaker's input on that. Something else I wanted to talk to you about that I thought was really fun watching was: uh, Did you watch the the latest Vice episode of the Dark Side of the Ring with the Road Warriors? Yes. Man, wow! Very eye opening. Uh, to me, eye-opening. Maybe not. Maybe not necessarily to you. Right. Uh, eye-opening to the fact that I look at Hawk differently now. I, and once again, this is just through the perspective of one film crew's opinions and whatnot. But I, I look at it differently now. It has changed my opinion. Well, what was your opinion? My opinion was prior to knowing this, I knew that Hawk had more issues, personal life issues, than obviously Animal did. 
Um, but I thought they were always able to put that aside and work together and they were super tight with each other, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. I, what I did not realize was how much he put animal in awkward situations, how often he put animal in very uncomfortable situations, meaning he straight up quit WWF in after what SummerSlam 91 and didn't make the trip back from London. And he just said that was it. But then Animal said he was going to finish his commitment of dates. Right. I don't know. I just felt like as a partner, you know, and granted he was he was under the influence. But I feel like the, the Road Warriors could have done so much more had Hawk been on the straight and narrow. Yeah, but that's a lot of people. Right. You know what I mean? When you're with somebody so long. You know, you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have fights. And if, if one does have issues going on, it, it's going to make those issues seem a hundred times worse. Because it's going to affect you as well. So, yeah. But you, but you saw what happened at the end. We did. We did see at the end he you know, got himself clean. He gave himself to the Lord. He got baptized. He was great, doing wonderful. In fact, he and his wife had just moved into a new home. Mm-hmm. He just got done moving some furniture, whatnot, said, I'm going to rest. I'm going to take it easy. Laid down upstairs, and uh, and that was it. I will say this, though. He came full circle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though it was a tragic ending, it was it was a positive tragic ending, if it makes sense. I know that sounds really bizarre, but... The timing sucked, but he was in a good place. Absolutely. It just sucked that 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 had to happen that way. But the Road Warriors, I mean, (laughs) animals saying that they never really learned how to throw a working punch. And that they literally would just punch people. I was like, holy shit. Well, when you're 280, 300 pounds, and you're fucking built like a brick shithouse, and you have no idea what the fuck you're doing, who's going to tell you no? It's a good point. I mean, do you know a lot of guys who either didn't know how to do certain things and they just went out and fought like they were in a fight fight. Cause it seems like you hear stories about the nasty boys. They were a lot like that. Uh, maybe to a point they were just aggressive. Okay. You know, I don't think they were dangerous in any way. They were just aggressive. Right. You know, and there are guys who just work like that. Some guys are very laid back and easy, you know, no problem. Some guys are very smooth and other guys are bulls in a China shop. <laughs> now you worked with Hawk though in ECW. Yeah, you got cool as shit. Good dude, right? Oh, very good dude. Yeah. Wow. Any interactions that you remember in particular? Any memories of of Hawk when he was there in Philly? Or no, not really. I had just started when when he was there. He wasn't there that 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 long. And I remember he he, he gave me a beer one time, and I was I wasn't twenty one yet. Uh, I said, oh, I'm, I'm not 21 yet. He goes, you're in the wrestling business? He goes, well, he goes, <laughs> this ain't the first time you're going to do something illegal. It probably won't be the last. <laughs> that is, that's awesome. Any, uh, any interactions or any memories of conversations you had with Animal? No, just hello. He seems like a very pleasant down-to-earth dad. Like, that's the way I, I think of him. Yeah, he's, you know, like I said, I really haven't had an interaction with him. I will say hello and things like that. I will say this. I was uh, in the locker room for the Legends of Wrestling a few years ago, and uh, 
even though I had my Legends of Wrestling shirt on and I was supposed to be backstage helping. And I sat in a steel chair and I did not move. I did not bother anybody. I definitely understand the code of who should be backstage and who shouldn't be backstage. Who should be in the locker room, even if you're sitting in a chair in the corner by yourself waiting for someone to tell you something to do. There is definitely the uh, the impression of what the fuck are you doing in here? Because that is their area. I mean, that's your area. That's your private area. So yeah. I remember him looking over at me pretty harsh multiple times. And uh, I, I just, yeah. Yeah, when they say if you're not supposed to be back there, don't. Uh, those, those guys will definitely give you the feeling that you should quickly get your shit and get out. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it used to be, man. But the next Dark Side of the Ring, which we are big fans of, they're going to be doing the Owen Hart story. I'm not looking forward to this. I I I don't know if this is this is I, go, this is going to suck. Yeah, it might start all nice and happy, and, right? And hey, Owen, you know, which is you know how it should be. Sure, but I got a feeling it's gonna it's gonna suck to watch. I'm sure it'll be excellent. Yes. But it's going to suck to watch. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be hard, too. I mean, being in the profession that you're in, that you see so many guys that, you know, before the age of 50 are dead. You know, whether it be from injuries or whatever freak situations or, you know, medicating themselves. I mean. Yeah, but this. This was a whole other level. Man. Well, no, no. Fucking... What I'm saying, though, I mean, just people people dying in general, whatever the circumstances. That's got to be a hard profession to be in. It was rough there for a while. The Undertaker, uh, episode one, we've, we've kind of talked about it kind of back and forth here. Definitely think Good you guys shit. should check it out. It's really Definitely good. check it out. Yes. I don't know if we've given it its, its just dues, but definitely check it out. It definitely gives you an insight to... A man that prior to this we haven't had any insight into. I said, if you want to know, and you want to see the Undertaker behind the scenes, like Mark Calloway, this is it. Like this, this, this you're going to want to watch. So I don't it's, think it's worth the nine ninety nine a month for the network. WWE, for, uh, whatever you want to say about their wrestling that they do on Monday nights, Friday nights, whatever. I'm not a fan of that. What they do on a documentary standpoint when it comes to making these mini movies is nothing short of brilliance. Their their production, even their video packages on matches or even opening pay-per-views and things, you can't touch them. You cannot touch them. No. It is so well done. So – Definitely check that out. Also, if you haven't got a chance to, um, I believe you can still go ahead and check out the other episodes that have happened on the dark side of the ring. Check those out. Hit Evan Husney up uh, and let him know that you're uh, enjoying. Hit him up, Evan Husney, and make sure you put a hashtag Red Lobster. (laughs) Never, ever going to forget that. Red Lobster. Jesus. No, that's like the that's like my favorite thing now. I when I heard that story when he was telling that story about uh, Abdul the butcher, and they were filming him for an episode, and they said we'll take you out to dinner wherever you want. Yeah, uh, Red Lobster. Red Lobster. Wow, would have never guessed that. Jeez. No, it's great. 
anything else on your mind? Anything else you would like to uh, to go into or talk about here? No, not really. Okay, good deal. All right. Guys, if you're enjoying what we are doing, Red go ahead. Lobster! Over to- Red Lobster! Red Lobster! Red Lobster! <laughs> go ahead and hit us up on iTunes. The Let greatest us know thing ever. What you're enjoying about it. Remember, you put hashtag double F for false finish. Tag Mikey, tag myself. Let us know some things you want us to talk about. If there is a wrestling documentary. Shouldn't it be three Fs? False finish Friday? Oh, I like that. Maybe it should be three Fs. Look at you. (laughs) You're a regular uh, savant right there, my friend. I'm fucking two ISTs in. (laughs) 3%. Did you you shotgun the second one, or is the second one still there? Oh, they're both gone. Jesus. They're fucking out of here. Wow. All right, guys. With that being said, that's going to do it. We hope you guys enjoy the rest of your Friday. Have yourself a great weekend. We will catch you next week, Wednesday, on Front Row Material. Say goodbye to everybody, Mikey. Everybody. (laughs) (laughs) What? Catch you next week. What? I don't know. I threw it to you thinking you were going to, you know, hit some line. And then you just had this look in your eye. And I thought, if I keep staring at this fucking screen, I'm going to, like, I'm going to fucking snot bubble this fucking microphone. I was trying to think of something profound to say. And I had nothing. And all I did was try to cover my face. And, yep, it all went to shit. (laughs) Well, like everything we do. Yeah, that's true. Would we have it any other way? Nope. Not one bit. People! We'll see you next Friday. On the Triple F. Triple F. Stop.